Welcome to an extra special ooky spooky episode of Season of the Witch with me, Rowan Oaken. It's Halloween this week, and despite having my spooky decorations up on the 28th of September, I'm still just as excited then as I am now. For this episode, I have compiled some of my favourite spooky stories, and each and every story I will be telling you is a true story. How do I know? Because they happened to me. As this is a little bit different this week, we won't be having a Witch of the Week or a bonus spell that way we can dive deeper into our stories to investigate the paranormal. Some of these stories may be triggering for those listeners who are a little sensitive to scary material. This episode might not be for you. If you like today's episode or any episode featured on the podcast, please hit the follow or subscribe button on your podcast hosting platform. And if you liked it so much so much, that much, that you really had to just tell other people about it, that'd be great. And you can do so by leaving a review over on Apple Podcasts. Reviews help boost the show's exposure in the Apple algorithm so more spooky sisters can find the show. As always, let's put the social back in social media. So to do that, you can find me over on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, where I kind of post silly videos and thoughtful pictures. Talking of which, Jinx Monsoon, yes, Jinx Monsoon of RuPaul's Drag Race, posted, um, reposted a tarot reading I did and followed me last week. I nearly died. Dead. I'm talking to you today about all these different horrific stories, but nothing got me as much as Jinx following me on Instagram. They are a phenomenal queen. Um, they're a skilled performer, singer, and comedian, and it's been such a validating morale boost to have someone that talented follow me. If you want to find out what all that fuss is about, you'll find me on the socials at SOTW with Rowan, the SOTW standing for a season of The Witch. And perhaps you want to comment on some of the, uh, today's stories. You can hit me up with a DM, or perhaps you want to tell me your eerie stories. I'm ready to be chilled. Oh, spooky stories and chill. Our first segment today will be on shadow people. Even I don't want to get into it, but I'm doing it because I love you all. After that, we won't be talking about entities, but a house. A very haunted house. And this is the part of the podcast where I kind of want to uh, to, to throw something in the fire like they did in um, Are You Afraid of the Dark Before Telling Stories? I wholeheartedly believed... I would form my own Midnight Society when I got older. And I guess I did. You folk are my Midnight Society, so get comfy by the fireside with me. Pour yourself a cup of hot tea and get ready to read the ghostly leaves to filth. Some of you may already know a little about shadow people. Some may know nothing. I've always been a believer in ghosts, for what feels like, as long as I can remember. And as divided as witches can be over the craft, I wouldn't be surprised if over 75% believed in some form of supernatural ghost entity. Some of my earliest memories are of ghosts. They're the type of impressions that stick in your mind for a really long time. They're the unexplained. They're the mysteries that echo through your subconscious, which your conscious mind tries to rationalize. 
And it's perhaps interesting that many ghost sightings do come from children. It's believed that perhaps children have an innate ability to pick up on the thinning of the veil, to to perceive things we can't as adults. And some may argue that it's because children have an active imagination. You know, their neuroplasticity of the brain is just snapping and changing rapidly to, to understand the world. They cannot differentiate between waking and sleeping as well as we can as adults. And I think there is merit to both sides of the argument. I'm not going to be persuading anyone either way today. I'll just simply be telling my stories. True stories. And not stories I've just got from the internet. These are my stories to tell, so sit tight. Grab yourself a blanket to hide under and get ready to be spooked. I was in my second year of university, living in shared accommodation when my friend brought up a conversation about her eccentric uncle that I realised that there was something a little more to some of my experiences as a child. And it wasn't until I mentioned this conversation to another family member that there was something more hiding under the surface. It, it all began when I was in primary school age. I, I was a difficult sleeper, always was as a child. One of the main problems I had was that I suffered with really blocked sinuses in my ears. Another night when I lay my head down on the pillow, I could hear the blood flowing through my body, you know, rippling against my eardrum, like the beating of a slow and steady war cry. And I never got used to it. It always kept me awake. But there was something else that would keep me awake too. And it was what was outside my door at night. The hallway light was always left on at night. My door ajar and my sisters closed. Even in my six or seven years, I learned to recognize the sound of different footsteps of different family members walking up the stairs. The, uh, the gentle walk of my dad as he uh, navigated each step with extra care due to the daily intoxication and perhaps the occasional stumble too. My mother's hard thud as if her anger was stored in her feet and my sister's frantic patter as she clambered up in a frenzy. The common thing that brought all of these together was that when they all reached the fourth step from the top, it creaked. It was an important step to uh, memorize, and this was the step to avoid when you were having a midnight feast when your parents were in bed. I don't know when the first night was when I saw it come up the stairs. But I, I remember how I felt when I heard it. Uh, there was a silence to its footsteps, as if it were mindful not to wake me, but it, but it was never careful enough to miss out the fourth step. Sometimes I heard it catch the step, hold, wait, and continue. As it was cautious, it was going to wake me. And when I heard the sound, I knew who it was. Perhaps wasn't, um, and my heartbeat would begin thudding in my ear, often so loud I would sit up and I would hold my ear, hoping I could, I could make it stop. And that never worked. Again, I, I don't remember the first time I looked, but what I saw was the same thing that followed me for years, and it was, it was tall, very, very tall, six feet tall, maybe, maybe more. It was tall enough that it needed to stoop its head as it peered into my sister's door of a night. 
When I was older and slept in a bunk bed, I was tall enough for its face, its blank, expressionless, eyeless face to be met with mine at night. And it never touched me, and it never hurt me. It was never fast or, or deliberately felt like it was there to scare or surprise me. It, it was, it was there to, to watch, to see what I, I, I don't know. Was it, was it a, a, a guardian? People talk of guardian, guardian angels, and I wonder, was this it? Between the ages of about ten and fourteen, I, I didn't see the figure. It had stopped visiting me at night, but one year, it came back. At this point, I was living somewhere else. I was living with my mum, this this time in an apartment, and just, just my mum alone. My parents had split, and my sister was in university. This time, I can remember exactly when I first saw it. It was, the time was ten past ten. I, I had school the next day, and my mum was out drinking with a friend, and I was alone. I turned the TV off, feeling kind of somewhat grown up and responsible for putting myself to bed at what I thought was a relatively sensible time, and I turned the TV off, and perhaps, maybe this is harder for some younger audiences to visualise, but when you, when you did so, the TV would reflect the room like an obsidian fishbowl. These weren't LCD TVs, these were old CRT monitors, which I think were made of glass. I, I sat there for a moment and observed the room, and already I, I knew something was wrong. I, I was being watched. And in the corner of the living room was an alcove, uh, and this alcove went through to the kitchen, also adjoining the hallway that goes onto the bedrooms, and from behind the alcove, behind the pillar, was the figure. And when I say this, I don't mean I saw this for a fleeting moment, you know, in the corner of my eye. The figure stood there, half concealed by the pillar, watching me, and I knew it was back. I looked away for a moment, and, and I glanced back again, knowing that it would go away, and it was just my imagination. Oh, I'm covered in goosebumps right now, I'm quite scared. I was alone. And my brain was just imagining a scenario in which something was watching me. You know, I was scared but about being alone, perhaps. And so I, 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 I looked away. But when I looked back at the TV, it was still there. It was still watching. I, I, I tried to rationalise things and think I must just be seeing another shape that I, I interpret as a body. But this time... I could see more of its body, almost as if it was getting closer to me. I wanted to get a closer look. It wanted to, to get a closer look at me. Had it recognised me? Was it the same figure? And a few minutes passed between us both, looking, looking at each other, until I decided to be the first person to make a move. I can see you, you know. And it slid away, softly, as if it were disappointed, retreating into the darkness. Had I scared it? 
and at this point my heart was hitting my chest so hard that I, I realised I hadn't actually been breathing. I got up and, and I walked to the area it had been and I knew there was no one in the house. I was I was old now, rational. And, and what I had seen was just my active imagination, making shapes out of shadows on a TV screen. And as I stepped into the hallway, I saw it stood in the doorway to my mum's empty room, silhouetted by the street lamp from outside. My adolescent bravery quickly faded and I ran back into the living room and I called my mum to tell her I thought someone was in the house. She assured me that it was impossible. She had locked the door on her way out and there was no way anyone could have got in. I tried to tell her the story and she told me I was tired. I was tired, but, but I refused to go to my room and sleep. I stayed awake until she came back that night and I slept in her bed. A 14-year-old boy sleeping in his mama's bed and her room. There would be a... But there would be two times after that that I would see the figure. Once again in the same doorway and another time at university. In a conversation about ghosts with my friend at university, she brought up her eccentric uncle who talked about the shadow people, the silent, silhouetted spirits that walked about homes at night. The silent spirits that watched you, creeping in from your open windows. Physiological and psychological conditions can account for these types of experiences. It is said that a, a sleep paralysis sufferer may may perceive a shadowy or indistinct shape approach them when they lie awake, paralysed. Had I been sleeping? One thing that connected all of these events together was that they all came at times of heightened depression for me. I experienced a very difficult upbringing. I can, I can say that, and I believe that it, it was. And those of, those of you who know me, either in in the real world or whether that's on the online world, I've talked about this quite a lot. And and some of those stresses lessened when my mum divorced my dad. But then in secondary school, I began suffering from depression as a result of consistent, persistent and violent daily bullying that my school refused to support me with. At the same time, my mother became sporadically reclusive and would sometimes not talk to me for weeks on end. She would cycle between these manic and depressive episodes where she was an amazing mother and the next moment your worst enemy. Weeks after I saw the shadow person at 14, I tried to take my own life. It was then again in university my mum passed away from cancer. I saw it again. The instances of shadow people came at a time of gripping depression. Was it a psychological reaction to my own depression? Was I just manifesting my own depression? I'd often sit up at night worried about whether my mum or dad would hit my sister too hard one day. I had seen her get beaten whilst having chronic asthma attacks. I had feared for her life from a very young age. Was the shadow person watching out for her? Or was it just my own concern creating the idea of a person who would be able to protect her? Sometimes some of the scariest things on this earth aren't what lurk in the shadows, but are the people we know and love. And sometimes those shadows are ourselves. 
do I feel that this was a ghost or a spirit? I don't have the answer, unfortunately, or at least anything concrete enough. Some part of me thinks no. I would be very interested to hear from others out there who have seen shadow people before. What was your living situation at the time? How was your mental health? I wonder whether there is something more to be explored there, a missing piece of the puzzle, like linking shadow apparitions with mental health. In this next story, I would like to focus not on an entity, but a house. Every good spooky story starts with a house. Amateurville, Murder House from American Horror Story, Haunting of Hill House, Poltergeist, and so on. Houses in these stories are often portrayed as entities themselves. In the case of Amityville, it's almost a living, breathing thing that has the capacity to enslave its inhabitants to murder. In the case of the Haunting of Hill House, or Murder House, American Horror Story, there are these are places with souls trapped inside, repeating out their fate, interacting with the living for their nefarious gain. The house I will be talking with you about today was built in a small village which was inhabited around the 16th century. The house itself stood next to a, a small library that had since been raised to the ground due to government budget cuts, and you know, I would spend countless hours thumbing through the occult sections of the library as a kid, reading and absorbing all I could about ghosts, witches, and demons. The one that has always stuck in my head is of the Enfield poltergeist. And as much as I was fascinated with the paranormal as a child, I was also fascinated in the in the idea of the hoax, the pretend, the make-believe. And as much as I had an imaginative mind, I had a sceptical mind. And I always have. I loved reading through the case, looking at the different excerpts from the newspaper microfiche articles and building an idea for myself. And as much as I loved all things ooky and spooky, still do, I, I would... I would weird myself out a little too much, so much so that my aunt bought me the making of DVD for the music video thriller, and her reasoning behind uh, this being that I could see that these people were all in costumes, and everything was make-believe. Then I could distance myself from the fear and understand that it was just people telling stories, and it worked. What it didn't stop, however, was the feeling of terror that was felt when the cameras weren't rolling, when it wasn't a film. And it wasn't a story, but instead it was you and your own life that was part of the horror story. My connection and draw to this house started at an early age, perhaps four or five. This is the only story I can remember from such a, a young age. And this house that we're talking about today is, is my aunt's house. She no longer lives in this house. She has since moved out, but she, she stuck it out in this house. My parents, they, they worked a lot. They worked a lot, a lot. You know, they worked nearly seven days a week. They both worked rotating patterns of night shifts and day shifts. And they um, they did this right up until they were made redundant. I, I would barely see them. When I did, they were tired and angry. And because of this, I would spend a lot of time around my aunt's house for the weekend. And my sister would spend her time with my other sister, often babysitting. It was a dark, really dark winter's night. 
it must have been a, a new moon. The, the sky just looked thick with darkness. I can really remember that being in my aunt's garden and, and looking up at the sky. My, my aunt and I had watched a, a ridiculous amount of cartoons and we had eaten piles of popcorn until our bellies were full to bust. It was much later than I was used to staying up to uh, back home. So when I got to bed, I, I was flat out and was sprawling like a squashed spider in the bed. And I stayed in my aunt's bed. She, she had daughters of her own and I already felt like something was a little odd with the house anyway. So being in, in her room and in her bed was quite comforting. I, I have no concept of what time it was when it happened. I guess you never do at that age, but I woke up in the night. And I woke up not because I wanted to wake up. I woke up because there was something dripping on me. It, it, it splashed on my forehead in, in small drips. A leak. The roof is leaking. I, I opened my eyes, still quite groggy, from sleep, and there, there was a man in the room. He, he was wet, head to toe, fully clothed, standing above the bed. His face was bloated and craggy, like kind of like a, a cake that had too much batter in the tin, and even though he looked so swollen, the wrinkles in his skin bore deep like the surface of a cauliflower. He was, he was straining hard as if he didn't want to breathe on me, as if he was scared to wake me up, perhaps. I asked my aunt if she would make him stop because he was getting water all over me, so innocent, you know. Make who stop? she asked, her smoker's croak groaning back to wake. The man, I replied, the man above my bed. And she jolted awake and looked about, and there wasn't anyone there. My face, though, was soaked, and there was no drip in the ceiling. Had I imagined this in my sleep? It's very possible. I was an imaginative young boy. Perhaps I was just having a night terror, and my brain manifested a man soaking wet dripping over me as he watched me sleep. And I can imagine that is so, but, but what happened next? is what invites the feeling of unease into this story, and it's what begins to set the scene for this house. When I think of my aunt, I think of her, the storyteller. And it's a trait from that side of my family that I think I have inherited. She dug into the house's history, starting with its deeds, tracing each step back, peeling away its layers. One of those layers revealed a man, a fisherman, who once owned and lived in the house. He had been working out at sea in the early hours of the morning, expected to return by seven. His boat returned at the shore days later. No fish, no man, and he was never found. It was assumed that he drowned at sea. This wasn't a story we already knew. The history of the house began to reveal other stories, other tales of tragedies, those who died before their time, those who took their own life. The house held these people's secrets in the walls like a diary. In one case, quite literally, in the walls. Behind a wardrobe was a hole, which had been created in the wall, a small 
dark hole intentionally created, not an original feature of its house. And in this wall was a small, human-shaped figure. A puppet? An effigy? Was it an object of protection? Was it to ward and trap something within the house's walls? I mentioned earlier that my aunt had children herself. She had two girls. The house took to one of them, the youngest. Over the years, the house would play with Nancy. It would watch her, purposely frighten her. It liked her. Many years of her childhood was spent at the foot of her mother's bed or in her mum's wardrobe, rarely ever in her own bedroom. And the story that sticks in my mind the most is this, and I guess at this point Nancy was about 16 at the time, maybe older. She'd been on a night out with her boyfriend and other friends at the time, and when I say night out, yes, I mean drinking, and yes, I mean in a bar, and yes, I'm talking underage drinking. I'm not condoning underage drinking, this story does not endorse it, but it's inescapable in any British teen story. And on this night out, they all met this guy, who isn't part of their friendship circle. He's handsome, enigmatic, funny, and has a warm, magnetic presence that was alluring. He was someone you just couldn't say no to. And after all of that drinking had finished, they all decide to head to my aunt's house because she's a cool mum. And as they do, people peel off back to their own homes themselves. They give up, you know, until it's this small handful, including my aunt's daughter, her boyfriend, and this new friend they'd made on a night out. In the house, the guy's demeanor seemed to change. He looked around the space as if he was trying to to find someone. As if he'd lost some someone or, or something. It was as if he was listening to the walls. And he didn't seem scared like others had before when they had seen something out of sorts in the house. You all right? They asked, noticing how quiet he had become. And he smiled back with his calm, enigmatic smile, with a soft deadness behind his eyes, almost as if his eyes had forgotten to smile with his mouth. This house is haunted. Nancy stared wildly at him, trying to figure out whether he was joking or if he had seen something. What? What did you? But you already knew that, he said, interrupting her. He began to walk upstairs, uninvited. The house is full of spirits. Some of them good. Some of them bad. Some of them evil. Nancy entertained him, half out of interest and the other out of fear. What did you see? She asked, finishing her question from before. He stopped outside the bathroom and peered inside. Who are you asking the question to? And she laughed awkwardly, knowing what he meant, but at the same time refusing to acknowledge it. And he points to the bathroom. He was watching you last night. In here. With your boyfriend. She goes to swear at him, to tell him to leave, but he continues. He continues to recount everything that happened in the bathroom the night before, as if he was watching it with his very own eyes from the doorway. 
He went as far as to tell Nancy the exact words her boyfriend said in bed to her that night. Stop! Half out of her trembling fear and the other because she knows her mother was in the other room and could probably hear. She didn't know how he knew any of what he had just said, but she was equally not eager to find out. So she asked him to leave, politely at first. And when he didn't move, she got angrier. The man, well, the teen, he just smiled with his charming grin and dead eyes. Her boyfriend steps in and begins to threaten this guy, asking him to leave. He still smiles. He watches you every night. He wants you. He wants to have you. At this point, tension rises higher and he is, well, we'll just say he's escorted off the property. As he is exited out the door though, he stops and he gestures out of the house. They're all here, he says. They're all coming. And spirits, he said, were surrounding the house. They were here to protect her from the man that watched her while she slept. They slammed the door and went to bed that night with the lights on, and he didn't come back. At least not that night. After school, Nancy came home to find a bunch of flowers on her doorstep with an apology. They were from him. He had been drunk. She'd obviously mentioned being afraid of the house and he was playing around with her, taking advantage of the thing that scared her the most, the house. He kept coming back days later again and again and it got to the point where they decided to take it to the police to discuss a case of harassment. When reporting the case, they had only got as far as mentioning his name. When the police officer stopped them, he didn't by any chance except a gift? He asked, and Nancy shook her head. The officer carried on talking before he was interrupted by my aunt. Flowers. He, he, he gave her some flowers. Did you accept them? He asked. I, I, I put them in, in the house. I, I didn't take them from him, though. And the officer puts his pen down, and he speaks off the record. This... This isn't the first time he's dealt with this case. John is a, a sick boy. But he, he wasn't always a sick boy. A year ago, his sister went missing. She'd been missing for months. You may remember in the paper, her name was Abby. And my aunt nodded, and she grabbed Nancy's hand. John had turned to a spiritualist church to try and find Abby, and he figured someone would be able to, to find her, or perhaps, thinking of the worst, if she was dead, maybe someone could help find her body. And someone did come forward to help him. Who? Oh. Nancy asked. They're a local group of Satanists devil worshippers, known to the police already for some of their, let's just say, uh, unorthodox practices. Unorthodox how? My aunt asked. And the officer didn't continue and instead circled back to talking about John. He continued to tell them the tale of how he found his sister. How he solved the missing case. How he helped the police find her. 
her body was stuffed in John's neighbor's attic. She had been murdered and had been rotting for weeks. The murderer was arrested and John was left to grieve his sister in the hands of his new nefarious dark magic practitioners. What about the flowers though? What about the gift? Why did you mention the gift? Wyan asked, bringing it back to the now and her daughter's safety. Well, you accepting this this gift into your home, well, that's his, that's his invitation. I, I would really strongly recommend you go home immediately now and you get rid of it. And that's what they did. They dumped the flowers outside and bolted the doors that night and he didn't come back. Not that night. Not the night after. Had the police intervened, they would never know. I question whether the reaction around John centres on that kind of 80s satanic panic, the grooming of young children, and as a result demonised a kid who was taking solace in a group who were supporting him through his grief. No, I don't know. I don't know what this group had been known for. And I guess I'll never know. Who were the spirits outside the house? Were, were they there to protect Nancy from the man who watched her? Or were they there to protect her from John? How did he know all that about Nancy? I'm sure all my witchy listeners are all listening and thinking, why on earth did my aunt not get the house cleansed? But that is indeed exactly what she did. It was smudged top to bottom. For a long while, the house was quiet. Its energy simmered and soft, as if it was happy existing as it was. Years pass and we all grow up. Nancy and her sister move out and get places of their own, and I visit my aunt less and less as the years go by, and I no longer need a babysitter. At around 15 or 16, maybe, my, my aunt asks if I will house-sit, or dog sit as well, um, so, they, so that they can visit her daughters for the week. Knowing the history of the house, I'm, of course, apprehensive at first, but I'm enticed by the independence, so I snap at the chance. She hands me the keys and runs through the house rules. How to turn the heating on and off, which key is which, and which doors are locked. The dogs were allowed upstairs, as she'd locked every room except the bathroom and the one I was sleeping in. Great, I've got this. I can do this. It was the very first night. I, I had binged through popcorn and trashy TV, just like old times at my aunt's and... Even with her absent, I still carried on the tradition. Now, to picture this next part, you perhaps have to, um, you have to imagine the room with me. Where I'm sat, I can see the TV to my right, a large mirror on the wall, and behind me to my left, there's a door to the hallway and stairs. And in the mirror in front of me, I, I can see the door. I can see the stairs. This makes me uneasy. I'd finished watching a, a really tedious French film and I turned off the TV ready for bed. As I do so, I, I hear a noise on the stairs. Assuming it's the dogs, I look around the room, but they're both in there with me. I go to get up and I stop myself as I see it in the mirror. 
Now, I don't know who else out there did this when they were younger, but I used to crawl up the stairs on all fours, kind of like a dog. <laughs> I still do this sometimes. What I see in the mirror is a girl doing this, walking up the stairs, playfully laughing as she heads up the stairs, dressed in her nightie, ready for bed. There was nothing malicious about her. She, she was having fun. She was happy. The dogs erupt in a bark, yelling at the stairs, shouting after the girl that I knew wasn't really there. Now, I've watched enough horror movies to know that you just don't go up the stairs. You don't, you don't follow the entity. So I stay downstairs and I close the door and I slept in the living room with the TV on. The same French film on catch-up TV lulling me into a sleep that I willed as hard as I could. Morning came. Not as fast as I had hoped, but it came nonetheless, and my mum woke to around 10 text messages, and this is back in the day where you really saved them up because it was costing you big money to send a text message. We didn't have WhatsApp. Uh, I, I told her that I was going to stay. I told her that I, I wasn't going to stay in the house. This would be my last night. And um, I just thought, I wasn't doing this. I was out. She called me about 8.30, clearly not sensing my panic. Thanks, mum. And she reminded me that I had promised to be at the house to look after the dogs, and by doing this, I'd be getting paid. I had a duty. It's like a job. I think I said a lot of, hmm, yeah, in, a, in agreement, but on, on the phone. But inside, I was hoping she would just say that she would stay the night with me, or she would do it instead of me. In the end, we reached an agreement. I would stay through the day, but she would pick me up to come home in the evening. Result. That day, I had promised to take my niece and nephew to the park, which was down the road from my aunt's house. They were dropped off at around 10, and we, we had a great day of it. I, you know, I was feeling responsible again, I was in control, and giving less of a hoot about the horrific haunted house I had to stay in. And it got to about 4pm, and the kids were due to go back home. My phone was dead, as I'd been playing snake on it for too long, as the kids went up and down the climbing frame endlessly. So I picked up the downstairs phone to call my mum but there was no dial tone. I put the phone back and pick it up again, but it was dead. I typed the number in and nothing. So I traced the cable um, back to the wall and I could see, well, it was plugged in. It just, it just wasn't working. As I was knelt down looking at the cable, I noticed I could hear my breathing echoing back into the receiver. So, so I covered, I covered my mouth it was still picking up the sound. Shh, I said to the kids as they bickered about who was going to ride in the front of the car. I moved the mouthpiece as far away from my mouth as I could, almost having the phone upside down completely, but I could still hear it. I hand it to my niece. What do you hear? She replied. I put down the phone and I grabbed the keys and asked them to leave immediately. We walked two hours to my mum's apartment, their little feet scurrying as fast as they could carry them. I told my mum the story. I told her how scared I was and I told her that I was not going back to that house. 
she had other ideas. That night she drove me back to the house. I had made a promise to feed her sister's dogs and she was determined that I would meet my end of the bargain. I went into the house and my mother stayed in the car smoking a cigarette with the window down, tittering under her breath like a schoolgirl. She was getting enjoyment out of this. Now every light in the house was off and I could already tell that the house was watching me. I turned them on, walked through to the kitchen as fast as I could, fed the dogs and I scurried back to the car. Ugh, my phone charger. It was upstairs. I needed to get it. I asked my mum and of course she said no and she began laughing again. There were a few minutes where I negotiated with myself as to whether I could go a night without it and I decided, I decided that I couldn't back into the house, turning the lights on once more, and began to walk up the stairs where I had seen the girl just one night ago. I turned the landing light on and I walked to my bedroom, seeing the charger lay on the bed, almost as if it had been put there specially for me, almost as if someone had heard me talking about coming to collect it. So at that moment I heard the creaking of a door. There was only one other door that could or should be creaking and that was the bathroom. All the other doors were locked. And that was when I noticed that they weren't. It was my aunt's bedroom, the room where the fisherman had watched over me that night. The door was ajar and its empty blackness beckoned me in. It was like being sucked into a black hole, and I walked towards it, knowing that I didn't want to, knowing that I shouldn't. My fingers danced around the wall as I tried to find the light switch. I was startled for a moment as the light lit up my figure in the mirror on the dresser. I scanned my eyes across the now open room. I looked at the bed, remembering the fisherman standing over me next to the bed, I noticed the house phone. It was the only other phone in the house and it was off the hook. Without giving myself time to process any of my thoughts, I ran down the stairs. I ran so fast that I missed the last five steps and out the door, leaving the light on upstairs as I did so. I didn't stay in the house again for any more nights that week. And it was the last time I ever offered to house it. Thank you for joining me today for some terrifying spectral stories and join me next week when Halloween is finished and the decorations will be packed away for some more witchy truth bombs, spells, tips and lore. You've been listening to an extra spooky season of The Witch with Rowan Oaken. I've been your host Rowan. Don't forget to carry on the conversation over on social media at SOTW with Rowan. Tag me in your stories, tag me in your Halloween costumes, let's get social. And above all, remember to stay witchy, bitchy, sassy, and classy. I think I'm going to go sage my house now. 